Today on Ag News Daily. But where Prop 12 is also much more difficult to comply with is post-weaning of the piglets. So the sow is given birth. She nurses the piglets. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it doesn't really feel like a Tuesday for me today. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm going to have to agree. doesn't feel like a Tuesday at all, although I have been pretty productive today, even though yesterday was a little bit of a slow start. So I'm really just kind of uh, double double working today, trying to play catch up, I guess. Well... That'll happen sometimes. That'll happen. And uh, speaking of catch up, this is going to be a bad segue, but here we go. Uh, Rain definitely needs to catch up in parts of the country because we got yesterday's crop progress report out at 3 p.m. yesterday, and we saw corn and soybean conditions slashed even further due to lack of rainfall across the nation. About 96% of the nation's corn crop is now merged, and about 68% of it in just good to excellent condition, down from 72% the week prior. North Dakota, however, continues to remain the most parched, with only about 48% of the state's corn in good to excellent condition. On the soybean side of things, we saw U.S. soybean plantings rose to now 94% complete, and their conditions also were cut, pegging the oilseed to be at about 62% good to excellent conditions. So we are continuing to see crops needing a lot of water, and the question remains, are we going to get any? Well, Delaney, um, I, I certainly hope that we do get some rain for those of the U.S. or those people across the U.S. that that do need it. But uh, I don't really think that we need a whole lot of it here in Lubbock. I think some people might still be recovering from the large amount of rain that we got. I say large. It's pretty large, I guess, for the normal amount that we get. But moving on here, I've got some news concerning WOTUS. As we talked about that last week, we have some words coming from U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley as he suggests that another battle over the WOTUS rule could be brewing. Speaking to reporters earlier today, Grassley says that the original WOTUS rule impacted about 97% of the land in his home state of Iowa, so I think that he is taking this pretty seriously. In fact, he was quoted as saying, this was a big deal in agriculture in 2015 and 16, and if Trump hadn't been elected, you'd have farmers today getting permits to just do regular farming, and that's a sad commentary. Grassley also told Brownfield Ag News that he doesn't want to go down that road again, and he hopes that they can launch an effort to keep the previous rules that we have instated as of right now. So hopefully we don't see any battles brewing like Grassley said, but I mean, as he suggests, the WOTUS rule has the potential to go into a battle, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that comes as no surprise. You know, the Biden administration said that they weren't going to change anything, but I thought that that was highly unlikely. So it does sound like we're probably going to see some rollback there. Yeah, I uh, 
think that it's interesting that they they said one thing they're doing another but hey I mean that kind of stuff happens all the time I feel like especially in politics so yeah I, like you I'm, I'm not too surprised by that yeah it absolutely does unfortunately happen quite a bit in politics and speaking of politics we got some big news yesterday about a new aid package that the USDA announced about 700 and million to be more specific here to aid biofuel producers, as well as dairy farmers, timber haulers and food suppliers that purchase protective gear for their workers. Small and medium sized meat packers are also going to be eligible to receive some of these grants or receive some of this payout here. But uh, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack said, this is a next step in expanding the process of pandemic assistance. It's not the end. There will probably be additional announcements over the next couple of months. However, keep in mind that this is coming, this biofuel, you know, part of this is for biofuels, of course, but this is coming, of course, as the announcement or rumors speculating that the Biden administration won't be quite as hard on oil refiners as they once touted and have, of course, been suggested that we could see those oil refiner waivers granted under this administration. So a little bit of a mixed bag there for the biofuels industry. I'm glad you brought this up, Delaney, because it's also one of the stories that I wanted to share today. And I I guess I think it's uh, maybe a little comical because I feel like in a lot of places in the U.S. and particularly here in Texas, and I think that you're feeling it up there in Iowa, too, that, I mean, we don't have a whole lot of restrictions anymore. So it feels like things are getting back to normal. But parts of the industry, of course, are still hurting. So they do still need some of this assistance. And I'm glad that they're going to be able to get it continuously. It, it certainly appears that way as of right now, Ashton. Well, Delaney, uh, since we just talked about the aid that's coming to the industry, I just have one other story to talk about, talking about what's been going down in Argentina. Talks between Argentine policymakers and meat industry officials are said to be on track to reach a deal on reopening exports, according to Argentine officials, just days ahead of the expiration of the government's month-long suspension of international shipments. Now, just as a reminder, because it's been a little bit since we've talked about this, Argentina halted exports for a month in mid-May as they were trying to grapple with runaway domestic inflation, and meat packers have since been negotiating a way to lift up these curbs amid fears that they could be extended. The difference in positions is said to be narrowing, so it sounds like talks are positive right now. I, I don't know when they're going to come to an agreement or on anything, but it sounds like policymakers, along with these meat producers, are working together to come to some sort of agreement, which is, you know, really good to hear, I guess, you know, especially for those producers down in Argentina, because the last time we talked about this, things weren't going well. No, they certainly weren't. And Ashton, I don't know, does it your article that you're reading or have you read anything? Are they still on strike? Because I think that was the big question in my mind. I don't know if they're still on strike. From what I can gather from this article, um, 
it doesn't seem like they are on a, a hard strike like they were the last time we talked about this, just because they seem to be coming to agreements with policymakers. So it sounds like the situation is turning from positive or excuse me, from a negative to a positive one, and they're close to reaching an agreement. So I don't think that they're on a, a heavy strike like they were, you know, just last week. All right. That sounds uh, sounds good. Sounds like you've got a handle on that, Ash, because I certainly did not here over the weekend. But one other thing that I have been keeping an eye on here, this is an interesting story, and I'm pretty sure, pretty sure this farm has been in the news before. Uh, but Zealand, Michigan-based Borson Farms on June 9th was given a federal search by the IRS in connection with an investigation of the troubled farm. They searched the property on Monday. Although child charges have not yet been filed against the farm, the IRS uh, typically executes these search warrants in connection to alleged financial crimes, including tax evasion. I'm Pretty positive that maybe a couple of years ago, we saw this same farm in the news for similar allegations. Uh, this article I'm reading doesn't necessarily have that previous. Oh, yes, it does. It, it does. In 2017, they were in the news for similar allegations. They've also been sued by CHS, CHS Capital for defaulting on loans. Uh, they're just a really, really large farm. I don't remember what their operating note is every year, but it's like millions and millions of dollars. So it sounds now that perhaps they've been committing a little tax evasion. Allegedly, it's not proven yet. But I always think that's interesting when stuff like that pops up. And actually, one of our listeners sent that to me. So I thought I'd be sure to share that as well. Wow, Delaney, I did not see this come across my newswire. So I'm glad that you stayed on top of that because I think that it's an interesting story to pay attention to. Yeah, it certainly is. And unfortunately, we're seeing more stories like that where farmers are, are kind of giving the rest of us a bad rap. You know, we see folks that are defaulting on loans, that are committing tax fraud. We've seen the old bait and switch trick in the livestock industry, buying and selling cattle that aren't really there. And unfortunately, those headlines do give us a bad rap for the industry, I think. But we'll see how that uh, how that all shakes out. Hopefully it keeps people in check that we're thinking of doing something similar. Well, Delaney, I'm all out of news. So how about we talk about how the market shook out for today? Well, we certainly should. Markets uh, didn't really have much of a turnaround Tuesday today and still finished the day mostly lower across the board outside of the July corn contract, which closed up today eight and a quarter cents, stand at 667 and a half. The Dece down seven and a half to close at 573 and three quarters. Soybeans today lower on the day as the July contract shed six and a half cents to close at 1465 and a and three quarters the November down 21 and three quarters cents to close at 1373 and a half. Chicago wheat lower today with July contract shedding 13 cents to close at 661 and a half. The September down 13 to close at 666. Hopping over to take a look at livestock, I believe they put in some fresh uh, contract highs today in a few markets. August live cattle up two dollars sixty two and a half cents to close at one twenty three ninety. The October up a dollar eighty two and a half to close at one twenty eight sixty two and a half. And I shouldn't say fresh contract highs. I think it might have just been fresh highs for this month. But we are still seeing green across the screen as the price to feed is getting a little cheaper. 
August feeder cattle today down two dollars twenty two and a half. Excuse me, up two dollars twenty two and a half cents to close at one fifty six eighty two. The September up a dollar eighty two to close at one fifty eight sixty five. And lean hogs had mixed trade today as the July contract added twenty seven and a half cents to close at one eighteen fifty. The August down 10 cents to close at 114.70. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures lower today as the July contract shed 35 cents to close at 17.12. The August down 39 cents to close at 17.95. Now, Ashton, we have still some pretty great interviews coming to us from the World Pork Expo from our time there last week. Tell us who and what conversation we'll be having for today. Today, we're talking about Proposition 12 and what that will mean for the industry with a representative from NPPC, Michael Formica. Well, today we are joined by Michael Formica, who is the general counsel for NPPC, and he has some other titles too to his name, so I'll let Michael introduce himself, but thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. In addition to being general counsel, I am also the assistant vice president of domestic policy, which means I basically handle things that are happening in the U.S. as opposed to trade. Well, one big thing, of course, that's happening here in the U.S. and particularly in California is Prop 12. So can you just give us the rundown, the basics of what Prop 12 is and what that kind of introduced here in California? Sure. Uh, Prop 12 is a ballot initiative um, developed and developed by the Humane Society, passed by the voters of California. Uh, it covers, it, it's the latest iteration of uh, these animal welfare, animal housing initiatives they have been pushing. What makes it different is instead of just prescribing animal housing conditions in that the state where it was passed, it actually bans the sale of product that was a uh, food that was that was raised elsewhere outside of the state. And so California now has a very prescriptive um, standards that you know, that actually don't provide any welfare to the sows. They're, they're admitting that we're going to see a dramatically increased sow mortality rates and reduced uh, litter sizes, neither of which is indicative of the welfare benefit to these poor sows uh, as a result of Prop 12. But um, you know, farmers are going to have to comply with it if they want to sell pork into California. And California is the largest state. It is the sixth largest economy in the world, and it accounts for 15 percent of the domestic U.S. pork market. So we've, we, you know, we're sort of we, we don't like it and we're fighting it, but we also have to figure out how to live with it because you can't walk away from your 15 percent of your market. I didn't realize that California was such a big market, especially for pork. I feel like that's a little strange. I wouldn't have, have guessed something like that. But, I mean, what's the, the big underlying issue here? I mean, confinement is obviously something that, I mean, I think the pork industry personally takes pretty seriously. And so, I mean, where did this kind of originate? Do you have any, any comment on that? So, sure. So, so first on California, they're about 13% of the U.S. population overall. Um, the majority of Californians are of either a Latino descent or Asian descent. I, th- you know, I think there's 45% of Californians are, are Latino, um, and upwards of 12 or 13% are of Asian descent. And for both of those cultures, pork is the primary protein of choice. 
And they, you know, plus there's everyone else in California who loves pork as well. So they, they consume a lot of pork there. Um, prop, you know, so prop 12 just came from it. it there, there have been, there's been a series of discussions, conversations going back 10 or 15 years over, um, sow housing. Um, they also picked up, you know, eggs and, and how, layers were were housed um you know veal before that for the most part you know the industry has been moving towards development of group housing systems um and that was always after you'd confirm that the sow was pregnant um prop 12 so, and those systems are generally at 18 to 20 square feet prop 12 is going to require them to be at 24 square feet so there's a there's a you know a significant re- you know, reduction in your efficiency to, if you have an existing system, if you're building from the ground up, um, you know, it doesn't cost, doesn't cost that much more to build that extra space in there. You need some more land. There's more materials, but where prop 12 is also much more difficult to comply with is post weaning of the piglets. So the sow has given birth. She nurses the piglets. The day after she is done nursing the piglets, Prop 12 would require you to move the sows back into a group housed setting. And, um, pigs are very, they're, you know, especially a sow is a very large animal and they are, um, they can be aggressive and, um, they, you know, they, every time you move new pigs in with each other, uh, they have to reestablish their um, their do- hierarchy of dominance, and that is not a um, you know, the, the animals the animals fight to see who's going to be who's going to be uh, queen of the pen, and um, they can get they can get very you know they they can have yeah, 450 500 pound animals going at it full force. Um, that's not you know. Whoever wins that fight, it's in their best interest. But yeah, you know, the other tw- tw- ten, twelve um, sows in there are, um, you know, are are not the dominant animal, and it's not good for them. And, uh, and so we've tried to manage that, um, you know, through a variety of, of systems and, and protocols. Um, Prop twelve is going to uh, do away with all of those, and we've got we're going to have to figure out how to uh, manage, uh, you know, significantly increase. You know, fighting amongst the, amongst the animals. There's going to be difficulty allowing these sows to recover. Are they, they, you know, they've just given birth. They've just nursed their piglets. So beyond not wanting to fight generally, um, they're really, you know, the sows really focused on eating, on resting, you know, on, on just, you know, just the general recovery of pregnancy. Um, and Prop 12 will eliminate the, the best tool to do that. And those first even 21 days of, of piglet care are very important up until, you know, that wean date. So, I mean, what is taking away the mom, the sow? What does that mean for, for piglet care and piglet mortality? I, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know that it would have too much of an impact there because the piglets had been weaned. We can still use farrowing, um, pens. But, uh, but certainly, you know, post, you know, so, so on the, on the breeding side, 
if they're in the group pen, we're going to see, you know, and there will be, you know, post breeding, there will still be fights, um, until, you know, until you've got conception and, and, you know, implant, you know, the embryo implants. Um, you know, and once, once the sows are pregnant, they'll, they'll calm down. Um, but you're going to, you're going to have, you know, significantly reduced piglet numbers because you're having, you know, these sows when they should be resting, um, you know, and they're, they're fighting each other and, you know, we, you know, it's just not a good, it's not a good situation. I mean, yeah, bottom line, just not a good situation. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it, I think it becomes a, a worker safety issue at that point. Does it not? Uh, it is, it is certainly a worker safety issue in addition to being a cell welfare issue. Um, you know, we're, we're going to need more employees. Um, these employees are going to have to go into these pens and try and break up, a. You know, fights, um, again, you know, your, your listeners are probably mostly in agriculture, so they get it. But on the offhand chance that there's somebody who's not in agriculture, you, you know, I would not want to be standing between two 450 or 500 pound animals who are going at it full force and they're angry mamas, right? You, you, they're now separated from their children and they are not, they are not happy and, you know, they, Sows can get, you know, sows can jump. You ever see a, you know, 500 pound animal jump four feet up in the air and come crashing down on another animal? It's, uh, it is not, a, it, it's, it's not something you want to be anywhere near. And, and so, you know, hog farmers spend a lot of time and effort trying to manage that because they want, they, they're, they're looking out for the interests of all of their animals. Um, and even, even that dominant sow, it's not in her interest because she can get hurt doing that. Um, and so we, you know, we're, we, we work hard to try and manage these animals so they, you know, they have a, a, a nice stable environment to live in, to, you know, to rest and recover and, and feed and get water. And Prop 12 is, um, is going to upset that. And Cal, and so the state of California has admitted to all of this. They said the only benefit, um, there were, they, the, in their rule, they said there are two benefits, and this is the official document from the state of California. The voters will know that the state has implemented a ballot initiative, and non-consumers of pork vegans will have will will have comfort knowing that consumers of pork are going to have a more difficult time obtaining it. Finding it, affording it, and they'll know that the, you know, that the animals were raised in the conditions that Prop 12 mandates. Which, by the way, the same document admits will cause more sows to uh, be injured and, and to perish. Well, personally, it sounds like a, a control issue there, but, um, from, from an NTPC standpoint, what are we doing right now to uh, ensure that our pig producers and our pork farmers are taken care of? So we are, um, we have a, a multi-pronged approach to this. We are, we don't like Prop 12. If, if, if customers actually wanted this, you know, the customer's always right and we would provide it, but this isn't something that, you know, the customers asked for other than the fact that the law changed, um, by a ballot initiative. There was no, you know, there were, there was no investigation. There was no, you know, there were no hearings. There was no consideration. It was, you know, just a straight up or down vote on the ballot. Um, so we are challenging it in court. Um, 
we are well, you know, we are pretty far down the road on that front. Or, you know, also spent a lot of time with, uh, with the state of California trying to work on what regulations look like and what compliance looks like. And so if we, can, you know, if we can't defeat the, uh, initiative in court and, um, we're, we're cautiously optimistic that we can, um, you know, then, you know, then we also have to work on how exactly can our producers comply with the law? How can we continue to uh, provide pork? Because there, there are a lot of people in California who love pork and we want to give them, uh, we want to give them the pork that they want. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. We certainly appreciate it. And thank you for all that you do for NPPC and our nation's pork producers. Well, thank you. Uh, pleasure uh, being here. Just hope you enjoy uh, World Pork Expo. Eat, eat more bacon, eat more ham, eat more pork. Thanks again there to Michael from NPPC for coming on and chatting with us about Proposition 12. I definitely think that it's something important that we're going to have to be paying attention to and what's going on in or with legislation, I should say. But I mean, if Prop 12 or t- was to go through, that would take effect in January of next year. So, I mean, within the next, uh, well, I guess, seven to eight months is when, I mean, we really need to be paying attention to that. Yeah, that could uh, change a lot of things for the industry, especially for those states that would see that go into effect, Ashton. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, I I think we should mention, I forgot about this, but I mean, today's Tuesday. So normally we have our Tech Tuesday interview for today, but we're having a special edition Tech Thursday interview that people are going to have to uh, listen into to see why it's so special. And folks, you can do that at agnewsdaily.com and follow along on social media as well on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.